0: Chris, tell you, these go like Joe Rogan. These are usually two to three hours.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I I read his stuff and it said 40 to 50 minutes worth of recorded, which I assume means you sit for three hours and just get whatever the hell you want out
0: of it and then edit. (laughs) That's how it works, man. Sweet.
2: Uh, I picked up a head cold in Tallahassee. (laughs) There's a joke oh, there, but I know. I'm just leaving it. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I'm just leaving it. <laughs> that is a sentence that needs every word that was in it,
2: yeah. <laughs> among other things. I picked on. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah,
1: I love that. The worst part of it was Tallahassee. <laughs> <I know.
0: laughs> That's what
2: made it seem <laughs> Uh Okay, so I sent out uh, a doc. Um, I don't. Did it make sense? Do we want to adjust? Is there anything? There.
0: Where were you when you took these pictures, anyway?
2: Which pictures? What are you talking about?
0: In the dock. These pictures of you. These are you, right? I mean, they're so close up; it's hard to. Oh, whoa! Sorry, wrong dock. Uh-uh. <laughs> like oh, uh, interestingly no. also
2: shaven so that's you know that's...
1: <laughs> huh. hey I
2: don't feel safe
1: right now is there like a safe yeah. word I should be using in the middle of this yeah. or antwerp. like antwerp?
0: antwerp, antwerp. The word. Uh, antwerp. or, 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 lock, or yeah,
1: no, yeah. Locker, I don't think that's a safe word <laughs> <laughs> that's, like a, that's more of an uh, encouragement word uh, <laughs> I literally have nothing else to do today. I have to drive to Tampa at 5 p.m. So I'm, you know, if you guys want to go until we run out of disk space on Zoom, we can do that.
2: Yeah, we could definitely do that. Okay. Um what what Phil, what was that? Was that your grand entrance? Yeah,
3: how about that? (laughs) Hey.
2: Hey
3: everybody. (laughs) Phil's here.
2: (laughs) Fair enough. That was great. That was great. Do that again.
3: Yeah, that was fancy. Oh my! Oh, God. Oh,
1: he's got a gift. Well, we I can if you're interested in that, I can also dive into our experiences with because innovation um, initiative, which I think was a glorious failure. Um, the the whole well, idea. Not mentioned the client name, but
4: yeah,
1: <laughs> never paid me. I just walked through the door and was hanging oh, out with up? the guys. So I'm like, Let have, you you write a check. I'll not talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> that was my, that was my uh, strategy in high school as well. You know, you're going to edit this, right?
0: It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I edit them all. Yeah, for, when for we're done, them. it's just the questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, 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 and by the way, the juicy bits that pre-record end yeah. up as the cold open. So yes,
1: Oh, yeah. good, 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 good. Well, yeah. I'll get my, let me get my hand puppet, so this will be good. Yeah. All right.
0: I don't, and I don't know if you hit this in here, but Adam, were you at one time, were you not the entrepreneur in residence at Clemson University?
1: Three years at Clemson, and I'm still Entrepreneur in Residence for College of Charleston.
0: Okay, there you go. I mean, I just I think that's a nice little hit to put in there. That, that that's a a gem. That is. You good. know,
1: do you want yeah. me to give you? I just had to send a bio to a person. You know what? Never mind. You guys do you. I have a cool. a, a thing that you could read if you wanted.
0: Well, that we have. Listen, send it to me. I want. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do a thing where we just read the bio. That's it. We just read every word that Adam Anderson sent us about himself. It's three hours, folks. Ah. <laughs> oh. okay. it, it, I love it's, it. It's, it's in pamphlet format. But, you know. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no. He has a dog uh, named Nipper. He used to date a girl named Nipper. I uh, used to date a girl named Nipper. She was yeah. so
1: nice. I named every dog after her in the future. It's unfortunate. Yeah.
0: And uh, And there's not even any alcohol involved here yet. That's what you're not wanted uh, to I, I'm gonna just say, I thought about arriving pre-medicated so that I could be up with Adam. So I could just kind of yeah, yeah, keep yeah. him word for word. And then I decided, cool. no, it's just fill in coffee, just fill in coffee. Oh, no. Mm-hmm.
2: This segment brought to you by Billy's Chowder house in Wells, Maine, right off of route one. They have the best chowder in new England. Uh, do, do you got all the oh, things? All right.
0: I do have a question. What's the name? Yeah. Of, what, what is this? How do you say that? A N S U Z?
2: And
1: Zeus. It's the Norris room for uh, Wisdom and, and Odin. And it is...
0: Can I just tell you, I knew really, that part. I didn't know if that's what you meant when you said 100%. That
1: is it. <laughs> okay. Because I, I realize that I need uh, wisdom and knowledge on a higher authority than, than the, my actual abilities. So <laughs> it's more of a call for help than a statement of capabilities.
0: We're all headed for Ragnarok, man. I got it.
1: <laughs> I used to date a girl named Ragnarok. So.
0: Of course, you did. Of
1: course, no. you did. Okay. We're going to stop that, by the way. I mean, it will get old. I mean, not right now,
0: but yeah, so so not in our lifetime. So not sincere. as long as we have kids to complain. All right. I'm sorry. Right, at least do the it's intro. It's your show, brother. <laughs> have way. Have at it. <laughs> we have till 5 p.m. <laughs> we get to do a recording or something. I thought we were just oh, hours. the It's Joe Rogan. <laughs>
2: Hi, welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. I'm Chris Lockhart, uh, joined today by Phil Yanoff, Wendy Keene, Oliver Kronk, and special guest, Adam Anderson. And we brought Adam along uh, on this because uh, we want to talk about entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, uh, innovation, the role that those things play with each other. Um, And Adam has, uh, well, what do you you call yourself, a serial entrepreneur, a parallel entrepreneur? Parallel. Parallel. Parallel talk talk to us a little bit about sort of how you got started on that journey and then you know I know we all have a lot of questions about um you know sort of what what how you feel about it right how that works mm-hmm, and some mm-hmm. of the stuff that you're doing today and then also as we always try to do you know what does that mean for someone that maybe is stuck in a you know a low level associate position at i don't know like Deloitte or something like that and is trying to is trying to get out and start their own thing you know we have some like some takeaways for those folks but you know let's let's get started adam Glad to have you here. It's good to see you, by the way.
1: Fantastic to be here and to be seen. I uh, I am glad that you guys are getting this experience to hang out with me today, as much as I am glad I get to hang out with you. Can you tell I'm desperate for human interaction at this point? It's yes, fantastic. So uh, you asked how all this kind of gets started. Uh, I'll pick it up from when I was working with IBM. So I was a traveling IBM security consultant. Um, I had three years as a road warrior. By the end of that, uh, my golden retriever was peeing on my couch. Um, that's your first sign that if, you're, if your golden retriever is uh, beginning to hate you, uh, you're, you're doing something wrong. So, so when you lose the respect of your dog, that's that's this. Oh, yes, that is, it's one of the KPIs. It's an important one, there are others, but that is a super important one. And that's so true. I decided uh, I had to do something. And the real trigger point was an 18 hour layover in Montgomery, Alabama, during construction of the airport. Like we, you know, no bars were open, they had no Wi-Fi. It was, ugh. so I wrote on this legal pad, I will never do this again for somebody else. I will never do this again for somebody else. And because that's the only thing I had to do. Uh, And I had an opportunity um, to start my own company. Guy, a buddy of uh, mine and yours said, hey, uh, IBM's charging me a whole lot of money. You built this thing four years ago and are now running it. Why don't you start your own consulting practice and I'll just uh, do business with you instead of IBM. So I was like, sweet, that sounds like a conflict of interest. I should probably make a couple phone calls first. Um, but as you guys know, IBM stands for I've been moved. And I had like four managers that year. So I reached out and said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this, I could really take care of our customers better if I was a business partner for IBM and not an actual. And He's like, Oh, that's so cool. You should totally do that. I've always wanted to start my own company. Good luck. So that's how this whole thing got started. I was independent consultant. 13 years later, I sold the company, had a uh, top of it was about three and a half million in revenue, 21 employees. Um, Fired myself three years before I actually sold the company. So I didn't actually work there. Um, And I've launched 28 companies, have three companies under professional management now. And what I do for fun is take entrepreneurs on uh, amazing experiences. And I'm into space cybersecurity at this point. So...
2: So are why best. haven't you been more successful, would you say? Over time?
1: Uh, it's it's really the, the the people I surround myself with drag me down. And it's not all of them. Some of them are amazing, but it's mostly those who smoke cigars and drink alcohol with me. And <laughs> invite you to Zoom calls. And invite me to tedious Zoom calls that got started around 21 minutes late. That is all <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> No, but it's it's a I say I'm a parallel pioneer because what I've learned is how I do this is I start things and then I need to get out of the way. I'm not a very good CEO. I can do that job, but I like running things in parallel that have other people who are better at their jobs actually doing the work. So serial entrepreneur starts a company, sells a company, starts a company, sells a company. Parallelpreneur builds systems and teams that run multiple companies under a single entity. And so that's where I am in my journey.
2: I love I love that. How do you, how do you get to the point where you make the decision that like, you know, I'm not I'm not the most effective CEO, right? Ooh. And I got to stay I got to stand back and let someone because I you know, I've worked at companies that, you know, larger companies, like large and and they still have sort of that founder mentality, right? And it's like, you know, you're not good at this. Take a
0: step (laughs)
1: back,
2: do you know what I mean? Yeah, you were good at the phase that we were
1: at startup. So for me, it was um, in Las Vegas. I was sitting in New York, New York, during IBM Pulse Mm. uh, about, oh gosh, eight, nine years, no, actually, no, this was 10 years into me running the company. And at this time, I had around 20 employees. I had a leadership staff, but I was on every sales call. I was on every consult. I was on every meeting. I did all of the travel. It was Adam was the thing and everyone else was a support structure around Adam. Um, And it was destroying my life i uh, just gotten uh, off the phone with my wife that morning and she, you know, we had a huge fight. My son at the time was two and he called me Adam. He didn't call me dad because he really didn't spend time around me. We just parented over FaceTime at bars and uh, two, two buddies came up and they basically said, hey, your life's falling apart. You really should just let us take this thing from here and go and take care of yourself. We love you enough. We're thankful for what you've done. But please go address your life. Go become healthy again. And so I had it ripped away from me. Picture uh, like a 90 year old person who shouldn't drive anymore and is a danger to everybody. That's kind of what it felt like to me. But uh, it was a huge identity crisis when they ripped it away. So there is a uh, the, the to answer your question. Without having it being ripped away, it's about a two-year journey of being intentionally researching your self-awareness and trying to get to know who you are, what brings you joy, how do you feel successful? Because what normally happens for those CEOs you're talking about is they end up being very, very successful at something they hate, which is the very definition of failure to me. And so you have these super successful people from the outside who are absolute failures because they aren't bringing themselves or other people joy. And it's a it's a huge huge trap because your ego gets wrapped up in it.
4: It's actually a massive strength, isn't it? Knowing your weaknesses and and being confident enough to know when you're not the right person to lead. So it's really interesting, Adam, to hear you kind of go through that. Sounds Absolutely. like forced to start with journey, but then that, that realization fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's it's a heavy lift too because it's a huge identity crisis. You identify as the ceo you identify as the entrepreneur and the thing that was most shocking to me when i stepped back from running my company nobody called and nobody cared and the thing ran better and that was horrible i mean i loved it but it was horrible and i was still paying myself i love me i used to go into work and i would sit there going what do i do here um and uh you know, the 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 goals when you're right, building a company and trying to to scale a company are often revenue generation and building teams. And at that stage, I was just trying not to be the only guy in a bar at 11 a.m. You know, there was it, it you get ultimate freedom of finances and time and then you're not prepared for what you're going to do with it.
3: Adam, can I also say how much I I love your how you've illuminated the models behind the parallel and the serial entrepreneur? And, um, you know, as you're speaking, one of my biggest lessons and pains has been, you know, launching two companies at the same time. And one of my wisest mentors, who's like, you know, startup expert, he's like, Wendy. <laughs> you're not a rodeo clown. You can't ride two horses at one time. And I'm like, no, I can do this. They're like related, but it ended up really taking me down because I was not doing your parallel approach. I was trying to grow two companies, two brands Mm -hmm. all in, and it just killed me. So you got to be one or the other. And I love knowing yourself.
1: Yeah. One of my rules is I never start a thing without a doer. Um, people who know me realize that uh, follow through and discipline are not my strengths. My strengths, like I, we if you look at the, the strength finders assessment, right, it's positivity, futuristic, woo, ideation, maximization, you know, all that quick action. Like that guy is a lot of fun at parties. But if you're counting on him to be a partner in raising your kids... Uh, or to actually run a business where people are being taken care of, you probably want an adult in the room, right? Because I get things started. I whoop people up. It's a great idea. We're all going to Florida, not Tallahassee, someplace better. And so I don't do it. I don't start a company or an organization or a movement without somebody who is an integrator type role, who is obsessed with project plans and attention to detail and loves to just do all the minutiae that I hate And without that partner, no matter how good the idea is or how excited I am about it, it's uh, it's in a holding pattern until we find that guy. I'll give you a quick example. One of the projects I'm trying to do right now is demonstrate commerce in space. And what we decided to do was launch a contest to have universities be the first to send a moonshine distillery to the moon. Have the moonshine distillery take the H three out of the soil to power the power plant, so that we can heat the soil up to get the water from the soil, so we can distill uh, moonshine and then send the bottle back. Now um, it's called the Triple Moon Project. You've heard about two moons. I'll tell you about the third moon at a different time. But the it's always been a thing I've been talking about for about a year and a half now. I finally found a guy who specializes in uh, crowdfunding. Big, stupid ideas that actually are important to science. So one of his projects was he sunk a U.S. destroyer in the BVI uh, after welding a 100-foot crack into the front of it for to create a reef. And so this was a fun idea that I love talking about until I met the right person who's like, oh, I have a track record. I have authority in the space. I know I can raise $50 million, and I know how to move this thing forward better than you do. Please stick around to provide energy and vision, but also get out of my way. And I'm like, mm, yeah, let's go. That's perfect.
2: And that's and now it. we're going thank to thank you, everybody, for joining. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it, it, it's a. Uh, I think that those kind of conversations are the 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 heart of innovation. Like when you have the freedom of entrepreneurship, you can approach any kind of problem and think about it from ways that most folks don't have permission for. If you wanted to demonstrate commerce in space, then <clears throat> and you were following an engineering kind of mindset, then you're going to start checking a whole lot of boxes on demonstrating functions. But by starting with a large dream of something that would get somebody's emotional, it's almost social engineering for uh, side of the house is almost what entrepreneurship is, where you have engineers and consultants who are very, very good at the technical stuff. Then you have entrepreneurs that are social engineers to how do we uh, hack the the desires and minds of the people around us to get them excited about what we do. I think Stanford, someone in Stanford, calls it the reality distortion field. I can't remember who said it, but it, oh, why we, yeah. yeah. Why don't we
2: just say I did? Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, Adam, you came up with the reality distortion field. Yeah, yeah. But, um, the 2021 version. Well, so I mean, I guess my this, here's a question for all right, Phil. You haven't said anything yet, so I want to get your your input. Oh, he's he's been on mute. He's been on mute the whole time talking. <laughs> um, do you need that sort of big audacious idea kind of thing to, to sort of strike out on your own, to have that vision?
0: You know, well, I mean, I don't think that you do. I mean, I think that Adam gave the actual secret here, whether he intended to or not, which was he started with a customer with a problem. That's it high quality customer with a high quality problem. That was really the key element for that. And I kind of wanted to, I I mean, I, I think we're in this interesting spot, but I wanted to as a proxy for the audience here, kind of lean Adam back into the beginning. I mean, Adam, I know that, you know, this is how you started. This makes all the sense in the world to me. Some people want to make this journey, but I think they're thinking about the wrong things. I think a lot of times they're thinking about what's my logo gonna be? What's my tagline, how are we gonna market? And they're like, no man, who's gonna pay you? That is the thing you wanna figure out. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious about what other things You think, I mean, you know what you need. What other things do you see as you talk to folks that they're kind of missing to make that jump out of working for someone else in a consulting business to going off and creating a thing of their own, whether it's a consulting practice or something else?
1: Yeah, so you are 100% right. Um, I forgot to invoice over $70,000 in the first two months of me with my business because I didn't know how to run a business. What I knew how to do, was provide the service that I was an expert at and make the customer happy enough that they forgave me for all my mistakes. And I learned as I went. So an obsession about I have to have everything ready before I go. I got to have the right logo. I got to have the right messaging. I need to build a website. That I had zero of. What I had was a customer who had a pain point who wanted me to solve it. And it was going to compensate me in such a way that I could afford to go and do it without having to worry about my bills. And so mm-hmm. that's the beautiful thing about consulting is that we can quickly switch gears into a business owner, solopreneur, by having a customer who recognizes our value and just getting started. So,
2: yeah, you know, and you know, I don't, Oliver, I think you may have experienced this too, right? Like some of the, depending on the firm, obviously, but when you get into a certain point, right? This whole thing about, like, you know, I know how to sit in a room with a bunch of clients at company X and have a discussion about, you know, what we should do. You've got, you've got a human capital problem. We need to, like, you know, fire up some initiatives around X, Y, Z. Well, how do you do that? Glad you asked. That's why I've got Bob over here and Bob's going to talk about like X, because I don't, Cause I just went as far as I can go with that. Do you know what I mean? Right, and, mm-hmm. and and you know that I think the teams are structured that way, right? You get you get your director, you get your manager, you get your you know your associates and analysts, and everyone plays like a role, a function, a, a purpose. Um, and then you get the senior partner that comes in and like shits all over everything, right? And then leaves. Like that's his role, right? But you, you get my point, which is like every, th- those roles are specific. And there's yeah, a certain yeah, all point. those kind of
4: cogs, kind of.
2: Yeah. There's a point at which the leader of the team that's delivering the work says, I don't know. I got to step back because I don't know anything more about this. I need I need my, my people on this thing.
4: Uh, and It's an interesting one because actually, if you look at the big four, uh, they look from the outside like a, a big shiny brand, right? But actually, when you go and work for one, you find out actually there are lots of little micro businesses. They're like a franchise model, really, underneath the same sort of brand logo. And there's actually quite a lot of competition, in fact, even within these firms and there's a lot of innovation um but there is also that kind of corporate i suppose uh safety net that when one part of the business isn't doing well other other parts kind of balance things out so that yeah it's a really interesting kind of and we've touched on this sort of stuff before right around kind of the mindset of consultancies but um it is very different uh and and there is this sort of safety net as i say and um i think we're talking about kind of the ease in which it is to kind of jump out and do consulting. I think what's what's interesting now with the rise of sort of software eating everything is the ability to kind of come in with an idea and go, I'm going to test this with the market. Okay, let's run with this uh, big, big four firm. And the big four firm goes, well, no, no, because what you're talking about doesn't fit neatly within our catalog mm-hmm. of services. And you want to do something in retail or you want to do something with consumers that I mean, it's this, generally, I saw some amazing ideas, but because they didn't neatly fit within I don't know financial services or retail analytics or whatever the buckets were, these ideas just didn't go anywhere. and instead people even got very frustrated and then went back to their day job or people did sort of disappear quietly and go and go and go and do something very successfully. So I could see why people would get frustrated in the big firms and go, do you know what? I've had enough of the machine or no one's listening to me about how. We can just create a data asset here, or we can create an API-based
2: business here or whatever. Because or, we're or I'm stuck in uh, Montgomery, Alabama for 16 hours.
4: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. There's a whole range of reasons, right? Yeah. But I guess the point I'm making is the leap to a kind of consulting uh, organization, and I've seen quite a few people do it, maybe get, kind of get to the director level and go, partner's not for me, so I'm going to go and start my own thing. There are, of course, that, that road is, a, is one that needs to be carefully trod. And Adam raised an interesting point earlier about I better go and check whether this is a conflict, right? Because I think there are quite a few perhaps younger folks I've seen who've kind of gone, do you know what? I can just do this. And I'm like, mm, you might want to check your contract.
1: Yep. <laughs> well, and, and the thing that's interesting is that there's nothing wrong with what you said, meaning that in order for a large bureaucrat Help me out. Anyone? You're those. Thank you very much. Those cracking, words. Cracking you, guys, you really did a good job, guys. Thanks for helping. You should be consultants. <laughs> yeah. Um, how much did that cost? I wonder. Any dollars. So yeah, that's about right. Market rate euros. Yeah. Okay. So the the these big um, bureaucratic organizations cannot afford to change their systems. The only way these large organizations can survive is if they have predictability because executives and C-suites manage systems that are running processes that employees execute on. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's very difficult to move up that channel and try to build because for that to be worthwhile to the, these large organizations, have, they have to build a whole new system, right? So this is why it's really, really important for uh, folks to be able to break out of those systems be innovative on their own and then bring the stuff back and say, hey, look, uh, you can't do this because your organization is too complex. I'm going to go do this and then I'm going to subcontract through to you. And that's actually one of the things that we did is we were able to leave IBM, create professional services and product offerings that they couldn't. And then we just simply turn right back around and subcontract to IBM.
4: Uh, It's it's interesting. I've seen something similar where someone's exit strategy was to be bought by uh, a big four consultancy maybe the one that they left or they weren't choosing it could be another one but because it's exactly your point they could do things and be agile and be disruptive and take risks that the big firm just couldn't do so yeah no i i i totally have
1: seen that myself well let's pump the pump the brakes real quick because i want to make sure everybody hears this deeply in their soul they're not going to buy you um, I very, very rarely. It's like saying my, my exit strategy is to win the uh, the the lottery. The number of consulting firms that go out and they build with the idea that Mothership's gonna purchase them. Um, if your company isn't going to move them up in Gartner, it's very, very unlikely they're going to be purchasing your company, right? Because it is so much easier for them to just wait a little bit because they're not hurting for cash. Your big innovation is important to you and important to your customers, but these large consulting firms, they don't need that money. And so it's much more valuable for them to wait three years and have somebody create software and then buy something like that. So um, I thought IBM was going to buy us. And it turns out IBM became my number one competitor. They came through and they just crushed us everywhere because I had good relationships with the US-based IBM team, but the European-based uh, IBM team didn't know who we were. And they just came in and they destroyed us. And so the, the cautionary tale is, just like you said, Oliver, there's a bunch of um, many companies all over the place. It, it's so hard to, to get acquired by a large company, when you are a small consulting firm that doesn't have some form of technology that moves the needle on optics inside of Gartner.
4: Yeah, and no, I, I guess the part of the world consulting world I came from was the sort of technology software. So mm. it was, it, what I was talking about was people that were coming up with a data analytics solution that they would wrap with consulting services or um, a, a data-driven business, Derek. which was, was something that the big firm wasn't able to do Rather than yeah, a pure play. I think you're yeah. right. A pure play consulting firm. What what what's the value add? I totally agree with you. They can just go and hire smart people that do that look look they and sort of smell and sound very similar to those people. But, well, but, the, but ask-
2: the the other thing there though, Oliver, is you know back to the point that you made is you know let, let's say you come up with the cool data analytics platform. You've got yep. you know, Snowflake. You know reading crap from SAP and mm-hmm. pushing it out to Tableau and oh, it's all it's wonderful and it's it's cool. Look at you know, but you know, the, I'll just pick on Deloitte again. You came, you come from Deloitte, and Deloitte didn't want to do that to begin with. So why do they care that you've got that capability? Because it still doesn't fit in their catalog of services and service offerings, right?
4: Yeah, it's it's it, it's it's a hard one. I mean, I think the most successful ones I saw, the ones that had weren't using just off-the-shelf stuff. They were building yeah, okay. machine learning models, or right. they were doing something clever with data aggregation or collection. They weren't. Yeah, you're right. Because equally, that someone can just go and get some grads to go and build something on an analytics platform. It's. You know,
2: I, yeah. I had I had seen it once or twice where there was a particular client, right, that you know big company wanted, yeah. right, yep. and it's like, well, how do how do we land a hundred people there and try to drum up business and force these other guys out? No, because those two guys are best friends. That's why they hired that guy. You know what? Let's just buy the firm and we just yep. gain our entrance that Part way. Buy the business. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know. Customer acquisition through mergers and acquisition. Absolutely right.
2: That's right. No, so yeah. Wendy. When oh, sorry, Phil. You were going to say something. No, okay. he was just agreeing. Good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wendy, <laughs> Wendy. You know, uh, on on the you know on the the multiple uh, businesses that you've started. Did you ever sort of pursue that idea of hey, I need like an innovative product or offering or thing uh, to sort of differentiate myself or with an eye to like, Hey, I want to get acquired or I want to buy another business. I want to, you know, I don't like, because to me, it's sort of like back to sort of what Adam was talking about. It's like, I know how to do this. Right. And this is the thing I'm an expert at. I don't know how to do all this other stuff. Right. And so if I'm, if I'm starting my own thing, I may not even be thinking about like, Hey, I want to, I want to get acquired or Hey, you know, this or that, because you know, I've never run a business. So I don't know these things. I was I'm curious about your experience because I know you've done a couple of these things.
3: Yeah, definitely. And um you know the the last company I was at was running a a pretty large consulting practice. Everything on the surface looked fantastic and great and people thought I was super duper crazy to leave and start again. But I actually accidentally got hired by that company for 12 years because I really never never meant to be an employee. Right. It's kind of in my DNA. But, um, you know, interestingly enough, I think if we look across the spectrum, of course, there are there are different reasons why people want to work for themselves or start a company. I think in the consulting space, some people want to do it for lifestyle because I'm good at this. And you know what? I just want to get off the road and just pick my clients and just kind of do what I love, right? So there's cra- some people even come out of non consulting roles, of course, right? Maybe they're an executive and then now they're going to do that. But then I think some people are the creators and innovators and inventors. And, and that's the side that really excites me. I like, Adam, your, your social engineering idea, right? The ability to change the world or make the world better, or meet demand. Through the structure of business, which I think is unbelievably powerful. So for me, when I went from my, you know, running my big team to two companies, um, my motivations were actually a little bit of both. Um, At a more minor level, one was lifestyle because I, at the time i was doing a lot of pro bono i was actually spending 3 months in africa a year which got really weird when i was on you know bad internet and like doing bonuses and like always you know you can it just becomes strange so one was a very deliberate choice that that was super important to me but the second was to your to the the heart of your question chris um, i really wanted to innovate and create and you know the the the, the business architecture strategy execution focus bit is is for me and you guys know me, right? It's it's a it's a discipline, it's concepts I believe in are, are missing in all types of, of organizations. So you bet I'm innovating around that. And I actually left my company because I thought it didn't belong there anymore. It wasn't giving the right parent. It wasn't giving like the right visibility and impression to really grow this. So, I mean, that's why I love this, I innovate every day. And the other one was around um, sort of architecting for good and bringing the ideas together, which really, were not practiced in any other place so yeah you know the creation was was really was really big for me and uh, and the innovation is is what drives me every day too
2: I guess the question is what are the personality traits of someone that would be good at sort of fostering that innovation knowing when to step back right all that stuff because the guys that I think about that have talked about this before, I don't think they're suited for it, right? No. <laughs> they Go well, out and just bulldoze their way
1: through something. That's not going to work. Yeah. The, the, one of the misconceptions is that there is a archetype for entrepreneurship. If you look at the Myers-Briggs and you see all the different ED blah, 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 each and every one of those people can launch a company, but it will be a different kind of company. Right, So for Wendy and I, there's innovation, it's freedom, it's doing good by doing well, it's all of these things. But if you're a different kind of person programmed in a different kind of way, you launch a different kind of company. Entrepreneurship is a tool that anybody can pick up and use. It's just, they're gonna use it in a different way. Um, and those hard driving folks that you're talking about, often build really toxic companies that make an awful lot of money and then they flare out, right? One of the th- interesting things is that the faster a, uh, a small business spikes, the faster it goes out of business as well. The, the, uh, the data is showing us that if you are... Um, really good at team building. If you're really good at getting the thing slowly growing and being safe along the way, that you build long-term value. When you're obsessed about hitting revenue numbers and growth, and you got a hockey stick like Silicon Valley wants you to do, you burn so many bridges, you create so much operational debt because you're skipping processes to try to skyrocket that by the time you pay off that operational debt, all of your gains go to fixing stuff that you should have done right the first time and companies slowly begin
2: to crumble i, I i've seen that i've actually i know i have clients that have, are going through that reckoning right where it's like hey you know we, we didn't need to do that because look it got us to where we are it's like yeah but you can't go any further yep right how you're you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna do. so wait so so wendy does that mean does that mean maybe like you know Women are typically better at collaboration. Does that mean women are better entrepreneurs?
3: Are you trying to bait me?
2: I think he's he's trying to pick a fight. (laughs) I think he's picking a fight.
3: (laughs) I don't get baited well on this because I just, I think people are people, you know? And um, no, I I, I don't think that's true, but I do think this is true. We're 50% of the population and being able to, you know, um, facilitate and foster women in entrepreneurship puts those brains um, and and problems thinking about things in different way, and and we simply show up different, do things different, and that's what the market needs, right? This collection of things and collection of collaborators. So, I don't know that's true, but but there there's there's one question I I, I do have is sometimes I think there's a um, there could be a confidence uh, challenge with with women as well, where it's like, oh, do I step out? Do I do this? Oh, am I good enough? Oh, but oh, I really, I, I should I do I really have any business starting a company? And I think that's important to actually be able to step out, have that confidence. And this gets to innovation, like trying, failing, you know, iterating. And so um, I just wonder if that is also a key characteristic of, of being a successful entrepreneur. I've got a know. couple
4: of I've got a couple of kind of anecdotal data points about that, up, Wendy. So. Right. Right look look at what on the one hand look at the number of female and this has been this is various stats on this I can't remember exactly what the sources but the stats about how many women will go for a job advert based on how many requirements are that they don't have versus that men will just go for it because they'll just kind of go yeah I can do that right there is a stat there are there is a published research on this is, what, is one data point that's more of a you know scientific data points to use another anecdotal data point I'll give you is when I was at uh, a big four firm um I ran uh, in innovation for, 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 for the risk uh, area, and I got to see all the various um, pitches that people would make of their ideas to the innovation board, as it was. It was quite hilarious. We had a board, you know, a process for, for innovation. For innovation,
2: yeah. We will now uh, do innovation. No. We, yes, the, the
4: Fridays at 9 a.m. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, 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 do you know I need a good idea Get right, right then. No,
4: no, no word of a lie, the innovation board was held, I think, at like half or seven or 8 a.m. or something on a Friday.
1: That's
4: what That's what I great anyway, so my point was going to be the majority of the um, submissions were by guys who hadn't done their research and were trying to bluff their way through this idea they kind of cooked up. And actually, the best submissions that we saw were like balanced teams where you had, you know, a bit of diversity of background, of grade, of, of gender, and you got a much better well-rounded idea where someone had thought about the market, someone had thought about the go-to-market plan, someone had thought about competition, the costs they're going to do it technically you know when we saw an idea like that we're like right we're backing this one because mm-hmm. there is somewhat there is a there is a team dynamic here and good collaboration and people are thinking about the different aspects of getting this thing from an idea to actually in front of customers and clients so um yeah those are my two data points that absolutely support what you were just saying wendy
2: that's interesting right because you have the you know I'll. Oh. A lot of people, I think, think about like entrepreneurship. Like, I'm going to go out on my own. This is I'm I'm by myself, a man on an island, right? Um, coming up with the next Uber, the you know the Uber of funeral services or whatever, right? And it's sort of like you know, mm-hmm. it's not. It's a team. It's a team effort, right? Entrepreneurship sounds like what we're saying is it's a team thing. It's not. It's not a one man unto himself. Can I pause
1: you there and we unpack the Uber for... Um, Let's unpack funerals? that. Because I feel like it's basically hiring mourners, right? I could crowdsource mourners at my yep. funeral. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I, the, I want to crowdsource like, you know, shadowy figures dressed in suits with sunglasses and umbrellas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mystery,
1: like, like, like <laughs> yeah, a couple graves over just staring. Right, like,
2: like, And everyone's like, what? What what was Lockhart involved? What is all of this going on? What are those guys doing here?
1: So this whole going out on you. So here's a data point. Um, Babson University up in Boston. They are the number one university for entrepreneurs from undergrad and uh, master's. Right. By the way, not
2: that far from Billy's Chowder House. Billy's (laughs) is (laughs) New England's finest chowder house. Right off route one. Are you sure? Are you sure they're not sponsoring
4: this episode, Chris?
2: Well, uh, they're sponsoring
1: it. They just don't know yet. He's gonna, <laughs> he's gonna, <laughs> he's, he's going to invoice them later. Yeah,
4: I was going to say the bill uh, arrive uh, in the post. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, so innovation. Their innovation, data innovation. shows it takes 14 years after their students graduate to be "quote unquote" successful in entrepreneurship, and they have a litany of failures along the way. So I am going to highly suggest you immediately go out and do it on your own. The reason why is you're not gonna listen when I tell you don't. So get that out of the way. Get your failure out of the way. Oh, also make sure you hire somebody very old who has a good track record from one of the larger consultant things, thinking they're going to solve all your problem. That's year three. This is this is the thing, is that there's certain lessons and there's certain things that you have to do that you just can't learn until you go out and do. So ironically, you know, in my role as entrepreneur in residence at some of these universities, my coaching to these students who are trying to launch businesses is ask for your money back for your MBA and go start a business because I simply cannot teach you this stuff without you emotionally arriving to where you're ready to learn.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I completely agree with you. I touched on that um, in a chapter in my book, the people problem available on um, (laughs) amazon.com which was effectively about, about how MBAs are worthless um, in,
0: Oh, there it is. There's a copy. Oliver got his first minds on the shelf back there.
2: Um you know but you know there is this I got the ebook.
0: Yeah, the (laughs) ebook. I'll sign it. Um I used to date a girl named (laughs) Kindle.
3: All right. Named your dog after.
1: Chris, were you saying something important or should we I move know. on? I mean, there was a, the, was a
2: thread there.
1: Oh, I think it was the MBA. No, it was yeah.
2: but like this learn by doing thing, right? Learn mm-hmm, by right? doing and, and learn by failing and all that sort of stuff. The same way we raise our children, not solving every single problem that they have, right? They got to learn how to fail. I mean, th- so if there's not an archetype of, a, of an entrepreneur, it does sound like there's maybe a pattern or several patterns of entrepreneurial experience or like a life cycle. Right. Uh, that you go the like a Gartner hype cycle, right? You yeah, The yeah, yeah. disillusionment, and then you go back up the other side. So
1: I spent a season um, teaching cybersecurity consultants how to start their own businesses. And my very first thing that I told them to do is whatever you do, do not quit your day job. Don't jump right into this business thing because business is hard and almost everything you think is going to happen won't and now you have no income and now you've got the added stress of watching that 401k you decided to go after just slowly going down and all of a sudden you have all this stuff my suggestion to these folks if you're going to go out and start your own company keep your day job uh, cut back on binge watching whatever that show is and spend 30 minutes three times a week at night working on your side hustle until you land that consulting gig or that business that will grant you the ability to safely transition from cash flow to cash flow because this whole and you can do that as an army of one you can do that independent you're going to be able to do that um, and it might take six months but it usually happens much quicker than we think it will because all it is is just doing the work and exploring and there's um but but going solo is just so terrifying it is so um draining how did did it make you feel going solo yeah on the surface i felt like a really big deal I was like, "Yeah, you looked but, it. You looked the part. You know, I must have." And back to Oliver's point about how um, we smell. I smelled like a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I was I mean, around you. I strutted. I, I even bought a very fancy scarf that I would wear every once in a while. Um, <laughs> but inside, it was chaos. But I was so busy um, that I was just. It was hustle every single day and i was absolutely positive that i was going out of business every three months because i just had three month contracts um and i just kept showing up and hustling and i was like well uh and in my head what i was saying is i don't have anything to lose i'm young enough i have no i mean worst case scenario this thing all goes south i go get another job but i might as well play with this toy while i have it and then it just kept going and then for 13 years i didn't get fired right and then until i fired myself So it was even 10 years into it, the idea of, are we going to be in business in the next six months? It was always there. And there's so many uh, things I would have done different. And I have done different. So that was my first company. All other companies that I have launched since that point has addressed all those problems that I created for myself that caused that fear state. Constant fear state of always having to hunt for new customers, always having to worry about, do I have the right people doing the right jobs? And transitioning from being kind of okay at cybersecurity to going over to being kinda okay at building teams to kind so maybe if there was a trend that I would say for my entrepreneurial journey, it was mental resilience to experience things that were hard and learn from them and keep going, and the ability to switch my role and my identity inside of the company and myself as I learned lessons. I think that's why I'm I'm where I'm at today. But yeah, the fear and uh, uh, imposter syndrome, and what right do I have to do all that? That was really there a lot in the first uh, year or two. Self-loathing, was there self-loathing involved? There's a lot of self-loathing. When you fire your first person who was one of your best friends, when you tell your entire company that you couldn't close that next deal and legal's taking longer than it should, so everyone needs to take a 25% pay cut and I'll try to get you your money, In the next couple of months. There's a lot of things, at least for me personally, that when I felt I was failing, my employees are the people who trusted me. I was like, I got 21 mortgages to pay. I got to go sell. I got to go make this happen. And so there was a lot of self-loathing and shame around not understanding the game. I was taking on too much responsibility. Right. I, I didn't know how to think about entrepreneurship in the right way when I first got started. And again, nobody could teach me. You have to go get punched in the face before you understand what it feels like to get punched in the face.
2: Phil, I'm concerned. You're unusually yeah. quiet. Well, it's
1: just no, so I, much I think that's just He's just, it's just absorbing bit, it. I mean,
0: I think this is exactly it. And I mean, I'm, you know, as you're trying to synthesize this into something. But I, I mean, I hear this again and again. And I think the... the point that adam's making is is pretty clear it's like everyone gets into this i think they go after entrepreneurship because they think they know how to throw a punch and that's not what wins the fight it's knowing how to take a punch Ooh, that's good yeah
2: write that down somebody write that down. yeah
1: no actually it's i uh, we have a lower I, I have a lower back tattoo with that on there so it's not original it was it says take you have to know how to take a punch
2: right yeah it, on your lower back it seems an odd place for that Exactly.
4: It just says you got to know how to take it, not it? That's
2: the sort of Look, I don't, I'm not prepared oh to arrive goodness.
1: there. I mean, I know that's where we could have gone, that, Oliver. That tattoo's a little bit lower. <laughs> I really bomb. thought that...
0: Adam said, you got to have the mental resilience, and then he went on to that bit. And I think it's resilience at every level, right? I mean, you have to be able to survive for the next fight. And I don't think, I'm not saying that survival is enough, but... The, to realize that the obstacle is part of this, right? And it's like, okay, I'm gonna have to get around that bit or we're gonna, I there's some things I just can't plan for and we're gonna take a whack. And the cat who makes it through this is the one who realizes they gotta keep standing back up. They will stand up again and go yeah. take the fight again. And you do that even though you're fighting through imposter syndrome, because you believe in the process, right? It's like, look, I'm off. I'm making this thing, and I'm going to go do this again, um, and it's going to be hard. And some days I'm taking a whack, uh, but we're just going to take our beatings and keep going.
1: Yep. Not having that emotional reaction to being to the suffering state that you find yourself in is right. is, is is so key.
0: We all have this initial flush of emotion to that. I mean, I don't know any people who don't, right? But you get that, and then you just say, okay, that's that way I feel, but I got to get up and do this again. And then, then you just get up and do it and realize this is my job. I've just had a random random uh, connection here
4: that you guys can can shoot me down for, but clearly, you know, very passionate leaders sometimes get accused of being sociopaths, right? They're kind of disconnected sometimes emotionally. And I'm just wondering whether the process of constantly swimming against the stream and having to like not care about what other people think, that they think you're going to fail and constantly kind of pushing forward means you lose some of that connection with, you have to push past those feelings and, you know, perhaps that leads you to disconnect from, you know, that softer side. What do you think about that, Adam?
1: Is that- uh, so I have become much more intentional with who I let into my inner circle, which is why Chris, and Phil and I don't hang out much anymore. Right. True. <laughs> um, but I, I do, I mean, it, it hurts when you have to fire somebody who maybe they quit a job to believe in your dream and, you know, it, and, and it didn't work out. And so, one of the things that I have found myself doing, and I'm, I'm completely comfortable with it at this point, is I don't let myself get close to anybody who's inside of my companies. Um, maybe the CEO that I put in front of it or I put on top and let them run. But as far as the employees go, I don't know some of their names. I don't know when they got hired. I don't know a lot about what's going on. And the reason why is uh, it's a defense mechanism because this is very, very hard. Now, it, when I am face to face with them, am I charming and, and caring and, and supportive? Absolutely. But Do I go out of my way to understand what everyone's kids' names are? I mean, I did that the first time. I I told people I was building a company that was the opposite of IBM. It was a family company where we took care of everybody and we were... But you know what's interesting about a family is you have to take care of that drunk uncle and you never can fire him, right? And so at a family-based company, you take all of the wonderful things that a family offers, but you also get all the horrible things. And that horrible thing is loving somebody despite the fact that they maybe shouldn't be there. So now I don't do that. What I build is winning teams. I build dynasties. I build highly competitive teams that are very healthy in how they support each other. Um, You can have an uh, uh, an award-winning team where everyone does their job and everyone's taken care of, but everybody shows up knowing that I'm not in a welfare company that is a family where once I'm in the family, they're gonna, I'm going to be taken care of. They show up and their goal is to do such a good job that somebody better than them comes to apply for that job, knowing that we're going to grow because of their excellence and there's going to be opportunities for everybody. So we tell our salespeople, uh, we want you to be third string quarterback very soon. We want you to be so good at your job that salespeople who are better than you show up and try to take your job. And that's how you know you win because the the guy who sits on the bench and helps during practice still wins the championship with everybody else. You don't have to always be on the field. And so our, our the cultures that we're actively building inside of our companies are one of excellence in positions, excellence in collaboration. And we're very, very clear about our cultures that we're building. And I feel like that has really helped me process how I interact with the humans in my companies. But in uh, another sadder note is I often don't, socialize with people who aren't running businesses anymore because it's so hard to communicate these stresses i want to sit next to somebody at dinner and I'm like oh you got a three million dollar company 20 employees yep i get you and we don't even have to talk about it right so maybe some of the stuff you're detecting is just fatigue in isolation um it's one of the loneliest things in the world to be successful at business and
2: entrepreneurship we we you know, we when we were thinking about this, it's like oh you know entrepreneurship innovation. How does that one person leave a company and go out and start the, you know because a lot of consultants think that kind of stuff. So you know we we've, we've had an interesting conversation about how maybe it's not what you think it is, or you know um, it's more than you think it is, or or whatever. Or at least mm-hmm. it's different. So what what's 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 a takeaway, Adam? I'll let you go last. Um, I don't know, Wendy. What, what's a, what's a takeaway for someone maybe? you know like like adam was sitting in a an abandoned airport somewhere right trying to get home and saying man i never want to do this again i'm going to start my own thing what's a takeaway that maybe from all of this from your perspective
3: i think um just to highlight the the phil you illuminated uh after adam you said it getting a clear uh, customer and product, it absolutely starts there. And it not only starts there because that's what you need to have a successful business and and sell, but for your own self, back to my rodeo days, right? Um, A a flashlight is going to do a lot more than a thousand candles. And so when you're focused, it will really rally you and your resources and everything that will Will come your way um and i think i think there's a matter of you know do what you love that might sound sound really convenient for for some people that maybe are thinking about the um you know the tactical um behind this but but you are going to spend just listening to this conversation you're going to spend a lot of your life doing this so do something you love and at least in 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 the case of my failed business as well I knew going into that, that I couldn't fail. It wasn't possible because even if I didn't make a lot of money, which I didn't, I helped a lot of people and I loved it. And it birthed all sorts of other initiatives. So do what you love and be really specific um, about what you're going to do.
4: I guess my my takeaway was going to be, um, I, I think I've had moments in my career where I've been a more successful entrepreneur, which is something I haven't really talked about right. And I I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the phrase because it feels like someone some sort of you know, made up um, to kind of fit a situation. But the, the point is, sometimes it's it's not always possible for everyone to break out on their own. Not everyone has that ability, but is there a way to kind of shape your career and navigate the firm you're in by having great ideas and great execution of those ideas? Because in some instances, it's not that easy to go and break away. There are contractual clauses sometimes that say that that's going to be very difficult. Intellectual property, ownership rights can sometimes get challenged. Um, But the other other aspect I was going to say is also a lot of consultants think, yeah, let's just create a consulting business. No, actually, think about how you might be able to use the data or do something really wacky and innovative that the firm you're in now just isn't, it's too risk averse to do, as I touched on earlier. Can you kind of come up the problem in a new, cool, exciting way that saves the customer a lot of money? Uh, and you can do more easily because you can leverage the power of the cloud and, and technology, and you can scale that way rather than scaling with, with man hours. So those would be my two sort of takeaways. Either think about internal innovation as well as can you innovate differently when you're thinking about starting out on your own as a consultant.
0: We, we talked about uh, resilience, but I wanted to give you a slightly different framework for it. And I think this is something, again, where Adam was headed to, but it, it's, maybe didn't use exactly these words. And I had a friend, he and I would go out and he flew uh, model airplanes a lot. And he always said, you wanna fly three mistakes high. And his point was, you wanna be able to make a mistake and then maybe make another one and maybe even make a third one and still recover without crashing the plane. And his whole point was being, you wanna be three mistakes high at any given point. But I think it's that bit about resilience, right? And so, you know, I in this conversation, one of the things we found out was that you, uh, not everything's gonna turn out the way you wanted it to, as Adam has well pointed out, you are gonna feel alone much of this time. And if you wanna figure out whether you're the person that could do this or not, you have to understand how are you gonna respond when things get tough, because they will definitely get tough. Um, and if you can look yourself in the eye and say, I will, uh, doesn't matter how ugly it gets, I'm just gonna stand back up and take the next step, You might be the right cat for this.
2: Yeah, uh, you know my my sort of thought on this was, you know, because I've heard for years, people, you know, my peers and you know other folks I've worked with in firms say, like, oh, you know, let's 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 just do our own thing. Let's go out. Let's get you know. Let's take this whole practice, and we'll all we'll convince everyone to leave, and we'll all go out. And and it's sort of like, and do what the same thing because the firm we just we're going to leave. They do that, like what. What's the thought process here, right? In other words, right. it, I don't, you know, it, yes, got to have, you got to have that client, right? you got to have that paying someone to pay you. But I think you also need to have like, you know, what are you doing that's maybe somewhat different than what the other firm, because the, the firm you're leaving, they're going to replace you. Right, right. Like they, they can find those people. Um, so I think it's, it's, you, you got to be really thinking this through. It's like, if you're just going to go do the same thing, that's probably not enough, right? I think, and like like Adam pointed out, right? And, you know, pivoted through like a couple of different things and in, in over time. So I, that was sort of something that I was thinking about. I don't know, Adam, last final word. What what are your thoughts for for those out there uh, listening?
1: I, I think my final thoughts are people need to continue listening to you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you really, I mean, honestly I what, putting tongue in cheek and humor aside, uh, you guys are amazing. This has been a whole lot of fun. Um, the thing is, is we've talked a lot about how scary this is. Still do it. Still do it. it it's tough. But you know what? Go do go do hard things and get the rewards. Um, before you jump into that, work on emotional intelligence and self-awareness. Um, you can do this in a lot of different ways. I would My dream for you is to do it in a way that is the least painful possible. And knowing who you are and spending six months of self-exploration of why you do things, take all the personality assessments, find a mentor, really talk to somebody who's done the thing that you are trying to do and have them in your life, if at all possible possible. And then finally, a a quick uh, takeaway here is how do you actually do the market research to get your first 10 customers? And it's called a problem solution interview. What you do is you call a hundred people. Now I say a hundred people, usually people call 10. Call a hundred people who are your uh, target market and say, I think your top three problems are A, B, C. Am I right? What, where, How would you rank them? What did I lose? And by the way, I'm going to give you a report at the end of me talking to 100 people of this is what your peers are thinking the biggest problems are. So you're doing a value exchange. You're going to create a report. You give it to them. Now you're going research-based. Then when you come back and you share that report, you say, 90% of the people I talked to said, A, was the number one problem. I think this solution is the right answer. I'm thinking of charging between here and here. What do you think? great. Would you like to be an early adopter? Math's on your side. You get your first couple of customers for doing that. And that is a multi-month process where you can be doing self-awareness, emotional intelligence work, and having amazing customer conversations. Give yourself time. If you're in an emergency, don't start a company. Get another job. If you are comfortable and you feel stable, start a company. Give yourself six
2: months to a year. Listen, Appreciate everyone's time. Uh, Phil Yanoff, Wendy Keene, Oliver Cronk, Adam, thank you. Very glad to see you. Uh, I'm Chris Lockhart. Thank everybody. Uh, thanks, everyone, for watching. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe. I think it's, I always get this wrong. I think it's over here. The, like, push this button, like, and subscribe. Um, we will uh, we'll see everyone next time. Thanks.
0: Cheers.